You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, and our production assistant, Daniel Tersini, we would like to welcome you to the show this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Kathy. How are you guys doing? We're fine. We're doing well. Doing well, a lot better than last Tuesday. Uh, uh, at least, <laughs> at least two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, Alex and I were talking about it. Uh, it. It's 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 just funny how things worked out. Um, we had a tape show yet, uh, last Tuesday, and uh, we were under a lot of snow and wouldn't have made it in probably for a live show. So I, I wouldn't have. I was outside shoveling shoveling <laughs> my driveway. <laughs> shoveling your driveway. We were supposed to meet in at the studio to do some work, and then uh, Alex said, "There's just no way, man. I'm pooped." <laughs> no. <laughs> But I ended up coming in later, but I would you? not made it. I would have not made it for our live show for sure. And now we're underwater. It's it's amazing how I was up north actually on the weekend, and the dogs couldn't get through because of the snow on Saturday and Sunday. You could actually start to see some of the grass uh, in some areas. Yeah, it's amazing how the weather changes. It is. I just hope we don't get a flash freeze and uh, have a skating rink. That would be not a fun drive. That's yeah. for sure. Um, I was uh, I was at the Leaf game last night, and uh, well, good for you. Yeah, it was fun, and it was fun. We had uh, someone sitting in front of us, a young guy sitting in front of us, and our seats were actually we were in, we were in front of the the management of the Leaf box, and in there were you know Kyle Dubas, uh, Shanahan were in there, and when this. This guy learned that they were back there. He was just so thrilled. And he, um, he was turning around to them and, 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 you know, cheersing to Kyle. And Kyle actually engaged him. And it was, it was really fun. It was a fun night. Um, it's, it's nice to see, you know, the upper echelons understanding how important their fans are. It was a fun game. So that was just a little side thing. It was on my mind this morning, and I thought I'd, I'd talk about that. But uh, on to the show. This is the first show of February. I'm very excited. We have a great lineup for February. And... Um, I think four four shows in February and then on to, to March and our 100th episode. So really exciting um, that we're, we've been around that long. But uh, our show today is live. So you can call in if you'd like at 416-245-1534. And please do follow us on our social media sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we are at the Health Hub RMC. And do feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. If you have any questions, comments, anything you'd like to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. And as you know, all of our shows are turned into podcasts. And we are on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And we are identified as the Health Hub. You can also find the, our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is www.radiomaria.ca. And on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And our show from last week, the tape show from last week, The Way of the Soul to Peace and Well-Being with Carolyn DuPont is up now and ready for you to listen to. That was a really nice show to listen to. She's got a very calming voice. I really enjoyed listening to that show um, 
yesterday. I took a listen to it. It was really nice. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that um, is always a going concern for me. It's something that I do outside of the clinic. I work with cancer patients. And this is um, February. We're into February. And yesterday was um, World Cancer Day. And a lot of the social sites had advertising for World Cancer Day and, and awareness um, for all of the people that suffer for cancer, suffer with cancer and loved ones and uh, the support people. And February is also Cancer Prevention Month. And to that end, I wanted to read to you some statistics from the Canadian Cancer Society. Nearly one in two Canadians is expected to be diagnosed with cancer at some point during their lifetime. Uh, this is an awesome uh, figure. You know, you, that means that either you or the person sitting beside to you is likely to be diagnosed with cancer. And when you think of that, it, uh, it, it puts a little start into your boots. I think it's, um, it's, it's quite a statistic to get your head around. And although an increasing number of Canadians are surviving at least five years past their cancer diagnosis, cancer continues to be the leading cause of death in Canada. Progress, however, has been made to control cancer in Canada, and as a result of advances in prevention, screening, early detection, and treatment protocols, the progress is reflected in the consistent decline in mortality rates since 1988. And trends in incident rates have been uh, variable across the different types of cancers. But overall, the incidence uh, for all cancers is decreasing for males, and it is no longer increasing for females. So there are positive things within those statistics, but... The, the fact alone is that uh, the disease is taking hold. We are not taking it down like we want to. Progress is being made. But the final statistic that I want to put across to you, which I think is something that gives us a lot of hope, is that approximately 90% of cancer cases are a result of lifestyle style factors. And they, are, and they are not predetermined by our genes. So again, this should cause you to sit up straight and... Um, really understand that many cancers can be prevented. So to that end, I just wanted to list for you without going into too much detail, some factors that can help in preventing cancer because that's, that's where our heads should be right now. So where do we start? Well, we have to start with implementing anti-cancer lifestyle changes. And top of the list, still top of the list, is smoking. So quitting smoking is a number one. Limit your alcohol intake and eat a whole food, plant-based diet. The research behind eating more fruits and vegetables, as reflected actually in the Canadian Food Guide that just came out, is that whole foods, plant-based diets are an important structure within our lifestyle. They offer nutrients that the body needs, they are not full of pesticides, harmful chemicals. So eating a whole foods, foods plant-based diet is right there at the top of the list. Keeping physically active. Exercise helps to boost immunity. It helps to manage blood sugar, and it improves our mitochondrial health. And it also helps to manage weight. Obesity is a factor in cancer. 
Um, there's a, an upstream and a downstream for the reasons for this, but managing our weight, eating properly are huge factors for cancer prevention. And along with those main ones, getting proper sleep is important. Flip back to some of our podcasts where we've talked about the importance of sleep for management of hormones, for management of stress, for detoxification. You understand why getting proper sleep is extremely important. And managing stress. We all live stressful lives. Again, flipping through old podcasts, you're going to see it coming over and over again. Stress is inflammatory. It doesn't do our body good. It's part of life, so we need to figure out how to manage it. These key things are important for cancer prevention, and nothing is more important than your health. So knowing that we can influence whether or not the possibility of whether or not we get a cancer diagnosis should motivate us to grab a hold of some of these ideas and really make changes now. And to that end, we have a great show that helps to fit in some of the pieces of the puzzle. We'll be talking about diet fads and facts. And our guest today is Kate Solovio. Okay, I, I thought I had this down pat. Soloviova. So she can correct me if I've said that wrong. Kate is a health coach, writer, and she's a new mom. She has an undergraduate and graduate degrees in psychology, focusing on health, resilience, and trauma. Kate has presented at international conferences, helped companies such as Equinox develop curriculum for their trainers, and has coached over a 1,000 clients to eat, move, and live healthier. Kate currently works with health and fitness professionals, educating them to do the same. So our topic today is diet fads and facts, and our learning points are what are the main philosophies behind the most popular diets out there today, like ketogenic, paleo, vegan, and Mediterranean. Are these diets healthy? And how do we identify which diet is best for us? And we will be back with Kate in a few minutes. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are live today with Kate. Our number is 416-245-1534. Please do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC, and our email address again is thh at radiomaria.ca. Good morning, Kate. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Kate Solovyova, correct? You got it. Oh, I pronounced, I was in my head so many times, and when the crunch came, I kind of blew it there, so... Sorry about that, but we're back on, on the right track. So how are you doing, Kate? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very well. What's it like to be a new mom for you? <laughs> I miss sleep. You miss sleep? How old's the baby? Uh, she is 12 weeks now. Oh, really new mom. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And thank yeah, you. she's cute, so I... we decided to keep her for now. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to do this, because I understand the, the perils of no sleep, but I really appreciate you being here. It's an important topic, and I think people are confused. There's so much information out there, so we're going to help everybody um, clear the muddy waters. But why don't you tell us how you got to where you are and how you started uh, doing this line of work? Uh, I actually started in psychology. This was my academic background. And uh, after I finished grad school, I was uh, teaching psychology for a number of years at a college and university level. I was uh, mostly teaching uh, students in nursing and police foundations programs. 
um, massage therapists. So lots of helping professions were taking the psychology courses on their way to their accreditation. And um, at the same time, I started looking into and practicing and teaching yoga. So I think yoga was the very first movement practice that I've um, found and embraced. And I think that really sparked my interest in all things health. So fast forward a few years, I was starting to look into nutrition, uh, discovered a company called Precision Nutrition that uh, was focusing on helping their clients to eat, move, and eat better. And um, now, five years later, I'm actually still working with Precision Nutrition as, um, as a coach and now as a master coach working with other health and fitness professionals. Precision Nutrition is a Toronto-based company, are they not? Correct. And they've, uh, I mean, I think it's, they're a well-known company. They have uh, outstanding information, science-led information. How long was your program with them? Uh, it's a year. So we usually ask that clients commit to 12 months of coaching uh, so we can focus on uh, building the habits rather than uh, any specific uh, changes in the foods that they're eating or anything like that. So we're really focusing on building skills over a longer period of time. So within this education, uh, needless to say, diets, diet trends have come up and how you educate people on the subject. And as I mentioned, it's a very difficult place sometimes for people to be in um, Diets are important for many things. Some people must come for you for chronic disease, others for weight loss. Is your message typically the same or do things change depending on who you're talking to when you're trying to talk to people about diet? The answer is yes. So it's it's both. There are definitely common factors uh, that we see between diets, between people, and uh, usually those are the common factors we try and accentuate. Uh, rather than getting too lost in the weeds of details and macronutrients, etc. However, individualization will be very important. And that's, I think, where working with individual clients works. I um, distinguish my work as an expert and as a coach. So right now, you and I are chatting with me in a role of an expert where anything I say is obviously going to be focusing on the common factors that are applicable to the greatest number of people. However, when I work as a coach, I have the luxury of working with that individual one-on-one and uh, we can actually figure out what works specifically for them at the time in their life that they're at. And I'm sure you can appreciate that yourself as a nutritionist doing, I'm sure, the very same thing. Yes, correct. Now, before um, I had a question that popped up into my mind, but I think I want to go down the road of distinguishing first um, and take some time with this because I want clarity for the listeners. Maybe the, the top four diet trends that you are seeing out there now, and maybe the way we can sort of do this is perhaps going through the main tenets of each diet and perhaps giving your opinion of of the positive and the negative, um, assuming that there are both sides to the coin. Is that something that we can start with now? Yeah, sure. Uh, And I I think I want to take a tiny step back even from that before we begin and differentiate between two meanings of the word diet. Uh, And I find that this is something like this is a word that is commonly misused because the word diet can mean two things. 
on one hand, it's some sort of a dietary regime that a person employs in order to either change their body or maybe manage a medical condition. Um, it usually comes with specific rules. So when somebody says, oh, I'm speaking, like I'm vegan, I eat a vegan diet, um, they may be talking about that or say, I'm going on a diet in January, usually is referring to, you know, I'm going to lose weight or gain weight or eat differently with a specific intention of changing my body. The other definition of the word diet is simply a way of eating. So when I talk about, you know, my diet usually includes quite a bit of vegetables, I'm not referring to eating a specific way to lose weight or gain weight, but rather I'm describing simply a way I'm eating. Uh, and uh, we can talk that way about the way particular cultures eat. So mm. maybe Japanese diet includes a lot of rice. Uh, so again, referring to how a large group of individuals eat and what kinds of food they include. Good differentiation. That's that's very good. I think we need to come back to that. I'm sure we'll come back to the, the two different ideas of diet as we're talking. But let's get on to the main ones now. Um, and maybe the one that I hear the most about is the ketogenic diet. So if we can start with that one. And then, uh, again, go through the ones that you, you're finding um, that you're coming up, you know, seeing most often that people are asking you about. That would be great. Yeah. So the ketogenic diet is uh, not that new. And uh, I, I find that that's probably the universal truth for most, uh, quote unquote, latest um, bad diets and new diets that when we actually look at them a little bit more closely, they're not that new, mostly because there are really only so many ways we can manipulate what we eat and how we eat. I uh, started I was thinking about this interview coming up and the idea of like miniskirts came up where miniskirts is a fashion trend that we know that was very popular in the 1960s. But if we actually look at it in more detail, we see a comeback in the 1980s and we see another comeback in the early 2000s. And we see something very similar with diet. So the ketogenic diet is a high fat, low carbohydrate diet with usually moderate, uh, adequate amount of protein. And uh, it seemed to really have been hitting the news lines and blog posts and articles probably in the last two to three years. Um, but originally, it has been developed way back in the 1920s, specifically for managing epilepsy in children. And it focuses on high fat foods, so lots of nuts, lots of butter, lots of cream, uh, lots of fatty meat, coconut oil. So all the things that taste good, people tend to quite like the idea of ketogenic diet, especially if you are, uh, if you like that rich taste of foods. And do you have, uh, maybe the best way to go through this is give us your pros and cons as we go through each diet. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll hit very similar pros and cons quite quickly across diets. With keto, um, one of the pros that people find that they like about this particular way of eating is that it is a very satiating way to eat. Um, if you've ever tried eating, let's say, full-fat yogurt versus fat-free yogurt, it's a good example of kind of getting a sense of how different differently they satiate you it's uh, much easier to get full with that full fat yogurt and once we start adding butter and fats to everything we're eating we get full with significantly less food now i guess um, within each diet there are 
diets within diets. Now, with the ketogenic diet, we I've seen it in you know chronic disease uh, application and, and especially in the weight loss. And with the ketogenic diet, are you counting calories? It will depend. Some people will still count calories and macronutrients for the most part. No, uh, mm-hmm. you essentially just cut out a large group of foods, which in this case will be carbohydrates. Okay. Um, what's another diet that you're seeing a lot of people come to you with? A vegan diet is probably a common one as well. And uh, we do see some variation there. So you've actually mentioned something in your intro, the whole food plant-based diet is um, a more recent alteration of a vegan diet where um, in a typical vegan diet, individuals avoid any animal products. The whole uh, whole food plant-based diet is essentially the same thing, but the focus is now on whole foods. And uh, it really seems to be a little bit of a backlash towards vegan junk food, because if you've ever been to Whole Foods or pretty much any supermarket now, it's very easy to eat, quote unquote, vegan diet and still eat the junk foods that you might be used to from a non-vegan diet. There's vegan ice cream, there's vegan chips, vegan pizza, whole food plant-based will uh, be still focusing on plant-based proteins and other foods while avoiding packaged processed foods. And then how is this one step farther than a vegetarian diet? So usually vegetarian diet uh, still has products such as butter, um, dairy, and uh, typically vegetarian would just cut out meats and fish. Okay, so absolutely no products from any animals whatsoever. Is this including honey, things like that? Is that how far the uh, uh, go? That's a great question. And it, again, it will depend. So depending how strictly uh, vegan you are, if you will, um, most vegan eaters would also exclude honey, uh, but you do see some variation. Similarly, with vegetarian diets, some might include eggs and some might exclude eggs. So we really need to learn a little bit more. When I work with a client and the client tells me that they're vegan, uh, usually my very next question is, tell me what that means. Okay. What exactly are you eating and tell me what exactly you're not eating. Fair enough. And then flipping the coin, let's go to the paleo and the carnivore diets. Oh, yeah, that's a very logical progression. I would say that um, ketogenic diet seems to be like a logical progression of paleo um, and... uh, Paleo is like keto light. So we saw paleo diet become popular probably in uh, 2012. But again, it dates back to 1970s. And uh, it focuses on eating like what uh, the cave people used to eat. So the idea there is eating close to the land, um, focus being on whole foods, meats, animal products, so you're hearing kind of the opposite there from the vegan diet, Uh, lots of nuts, uh, sweet potatoes, fruit, and uh, you would usually uh, see no wheat, no grains uh, in the the paleo diet. So again, some similarity there with a usually lower carbohydrate intake. And then the carnivore diet is a step up from there in the meat category, I'm assuming? That's right. So the carnivore diet has been popping up more and more, I would say probably in the last um, 
12 months I've really seen uh, it come up. And I think most of it has been attributed to just a couple of more high profile people talking about it in the media. And of course, we hear about it and we get curious. So with carnivore diet, it's actually just what it sounds like you would only eat meat and nothing else. Uh, so very simple as far as shopping goes. Uh, it can also be very expensive. But one of the things uh, that um, one would do in a carnivore diet is really focus on the quality of meat. So the idea there would be to focus on usually grass-fed organic produce. And you would have um, beef potentially for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks. Okay, so that that's quite a diet. Um, and yeah, that's not one that I've actually come across. It was you that mentioned it to me first. So uh, very confusing for people, especially people who are just starting out trying to figure out what's right for them. So thank you for delineating all of these. I think it's it was a necessary place uh, to, to start. And then after the break, what I want to do, those are the diets. Let's get into the facts and the myths and where you think the healthiest path for people to go. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking with Kate Soloviova about diet fads and facts. Kate, I've had uh, three questions that have popped up that I, I want to get to. Um, and not surprising to me, they, they seem to be circling around the ketogenic diet. Um, so would you mind taking these questions? No, let's do it. Okay, so the first question is, um, is focusing on a macro or eliminating a macro safe? Oh, that's a good question. So it's focusing on a macro and uh, I guess for listeners, what we're talking about here is um, focusing on a carbohydrate or fat or protein, because normally with a lot of dietary trends, what we see is it will focus on eliminating or reducing or highlighting one macronutrient over others. For example, ketogenic diet uh, focuses on fat. So you will be eating lots of fat, not so much protein, and uh, almost no carbohydrates. So is it safe? And what we see is that humans tend to do really well on a very wide variety of diets. So if we look cross-culturally across the globe, we see uh, cultures that eat almost no carbohydrates. So we usually see that um, happening with some of the hunting societies where you see really high fat um, animal consumption, which actually would resemble something like a ketogenic or uh, even a carnivore diet. We also see cultures that eat a very high carbohydrate diet. We see lots of lentils, we see legumes, we see rice or pasta or potatoes, and they do well as well. So is it safe? Um, there isn't really any reason to believe that there will be a downside health-wise because we are able to get a variety of nutrients vitamins, minerals from just a wide variety of food. And if you were to think of the foods that are available, let's say in California, compared to Iceland, you will see, um, again, we're not really able to get that same uh, list, same nomenclature of foods in any given supermarket. So we are very adaptable. So is it safe? Generally, yes. Okay. Um, again, I think this is, well, it is. Is there enough research to support the long-term claims of keto? Hmm. 
It depends for what. Uh, there's definitely much more research on ketogenic diet now uh, with uh, increasing interest in it. But the research that we have that tends to be most solid is the one supporting ketogenic diet for use in the original population, which has been specifically for managing a medical condition of epilepsy. Uh, whether ketogenic diet is safe, effective, healthy, long-term for really any other purpose, it's too early to say. Uh, what we know is that one of the downsides of ketogenic diets uh, seems to be just people's inability to stick to it long-term. But then again, that tends to be the downside of most diets. Mm -hmm. And the final question again on the ketogenic diet, can you do keto just to lose weight and then come off it? People are trying every day. Uh, and I think this question is actually the question, can I do this diet, any diet, and then eat the way I used to before and still maintain weight loss? Um, so this is not really unique to ketogenic diet. Um, and I think this is, again, the question people have been asking for as long as people have been dieting. The general answer seems to be no, because any sort of long-term weight loss, if successful, tends to rely on uh, people maintaining whatever health changes, whatever behavioral changes got them to that weight loss to begin with. So it's very unlikely that one would be able to change their eating ways significantly, see weight loss, and then go back to the way they were eating or living before and uh, see the maintenance of that weight loss. When when we talk about all these diet fads and, you know, people trying to figure out what diet is right for them, I keep coming back to this notion that we're missing the big picture. And I could be missing the big picture, but where do you guide people who are coming into you and saying, what should I be doing to have a healthy diet? It's such a great question, and it's the one that many, many books have been written on. Uh, the way I see it from the coaching perspective is that the best diet for an individual is the one that that individual can maintain long term. And it's a platitude. It doesn't seem to be helpful in the moment. Um, yet it's such a cliche because it's true. So we have to take into account those individual variabilities. So uh, it's very difficult to eat a vegan diet if you have trouble digesting legumes or maybe you just hate legumes in general, uh, just like it would be, you know, if you have cancer, you work with people with cancer, that may dictate certain things as well. So if you're experiencing nausea, for example, from treatments, a lot of foods may no longer be as attractive. So the way I see it, the best diet for an individual is the diet in the meaning of what kind of foods am I eating on a regular basis? Because I think, again, optimal scenario for just a regular person is not being constantly stuck in a state of trying to make your body bigger or smaller, but rather focusing on maintaining a weight that feels good to you, where you're able to engage in the activities that you enjoy and Eat the foods that bring you pleasure, um, that you can access wherever you live, that you can afford, and do that on an ongoing basis for years to come. So it's a very general big question, uh, and 
there's a general big answer. Do you think that um, in the scope of things, we are overthinking what we're eating? I think we're absolutely overthinking uh, what we're eating. And I think Michael Pollan was one of the first authors who talked about this concept of nutritionism, where if you go to a grocery store, sometimes it feels like you can't make yourself a meal without having a PhD in nutrition. You look at um, orange juice aisle and there is calcium fortified, high protein, low protein, low pulp, medium pulp. There just seems to be so much information on labels uh, and it feels as if we need to have all this nutritional knowledge simply in order to eat. And one of the things I sometimes remind clients is that we've been eating for a very long time. So the fact that we now have access to all this information, I think makes a lot of very simple things more difficult. So where does that leave somebody when they walk into your office with no idea where to go? And I guess to that end, too, um, you're dealing with some people that might have ideologies on what they think is right. Are you busting through some of these ideologies that people seem to have sometimes when they're walking into you very stuck on the way they eat? Mm. Well, I prefer not to bust through people's anything, but sometimes I do end up massaging through some ideologies over time. So, uh, And that tends to come simply from guiding a client to experiment with uh, various ways of eating, with various foods. Uh, I may encourage someone to simply try new vegetable, like sometimes working with clients who claim that they hate all vegetables. And uh, looking at something like that in a little bit more detail, I've truly never met anyone who hates all the vegetables. They tend to hate all the vegetables they've tried so far in the ways that they've been cooked. So we may play with trying something new or trying a new way of cooking. It's uh, not that different from, you know, perhaps parents introducing new foods to their children. The idea is you've got to try it and you've got to try it more than once. And uh, you will see that over time, you may actually come to like or appreciate something you haven't thought you might in the past. What is your, the, if you were going to say, this is the plan that I generally go down with people, is there a specific way to eat that you recommend for people? There is actually, uh, and uh, it tends to tap into the common factors. Uh, between all the diets we have talked about today. So uh, when we talk about what are the pros of all these diets, why do people adopt a paleo diet and all of a sudden feel better? Or why do people feel so good eating a vegan diet or a keto diet? What tends to be the common underlying theme is that people found something that works for them. Um, And the common factors are that we start paying more attention to what we're eating. And that that really is one of the common themes for all the diets. No matter what diet ideology you will subscribe to, you will all of a sudden start paying more attention to simply what it is you're eating and how you're eating it. Uh, The focus on food quality is another uh, common factor where, once again, no diet out there – most diets out there, let me put it that way, uh, propagate eating more packaged, more processed foods. So you will often see a focus on whole foods, on fruits, on vegetables, uh, and also 
on more cooking at home. So putting foods together from scratch um, where you buy the ingredients and then actually make them at home. So we see the focus on the how perhaps being more important than the focus on the what. Because as I said before in the interview answering uh, one of the listeners' questions, humans can do well on a wide variety of what, but the how tends to be pretty universal. The how is cooking the food, uh, focusing on um, what it is we're eating, eating slowly, uh, getting enjoyment from the food that you're eating. Uh, All of that ends up being more satiating, more pleasurable, uh, and tends to regulate appetite and regulate uh, body weight as well. So you brought up a great point there. Eating and nutrition does go far beyond just the, the reds, the greens, the yellows that are sitting on your plate. And I think that's an important piece that we need to reiterate over and over again. But are there diets, I'm going to try and say this without sounding all muddled, is there a diet for every, is there one diet that's applicable to everybody? Um, And if we could, for instance, if we could sustain the rules and tenets of a diet, is there one diet that fits everybody? Or is everybody different um, physiologically, how they were brought up, what they ate as a child? Is there a one-size-fits-all out there that you would say, or are we individual in what, not just our likes and dislikes, but are we individual in what actually works best within our body? Uh, there is definitely no one diet that would fit everyone. So it, the answer tends to be it depends. Uh, so there is no one diet that fits all, however, I will never argue with a personal experience of individuals that found a particular diet working really well for them. So just like um, experimenting from one to another, some people feel very good uh, eating a ketogenic diet. That's amazing. The only thing I have to say to those people, I'm so happy you found something that works. And the same thing applies to someone eating a paleo diet or Mediterranean diet. Um, I guess my uh, focus as a coach would simply be to assist the person who is interested in finding a way to eat is finding that way. And you definitely don't have to find a diet that has a name with a number of rules in order to eat well and feel good. Maybe these rules are what meet people burn out on these diets, you know, trying to to think through what they eat as far as counting calories and uh, weighing foods. That's that can be difficult in a busy lifestyle. Um, a question that I have for you is, have you found that diets for a person should or do change as they get into different periods of their life? Or are people, you know, once they found their their wheelhouse, they just they just ride it on to the end? Uh, I think once we find something that works, uh, we tend to insist that it should work forever and ever. And it can be very frustrating to deal with the fact that something that used to work before all of a sudden doesn't work. And that's a, a common issue that clients identify where I may talk to somebody and say, well, I've been eating this way for five years or 20 years and it's always worked for me. Darn it. Why doesn't it work anymore? Um, And it doesn't really matter why it doesn't work anymore. Maybe your circumstances have changed. Your life has changed. um, You may have developed a chronic illness. Maybe you're pregnant. uh, 
or maybe you're breastfeeding. So there are many different changes in your life that can result in those changes. But I think that focus here, once again, is to be adaptable because you will change as an individual. Your body will change. What your food preferences will change. And it's really just going along with those changes and paying attention so you can change, you can be quick on your feet, you can uh, continue adapting and adjusting. So the only universal, the only constant is the fact that you're eating the way that makes you feel good. Are there warning signs that you may not be eating properly if you're following a particular diet and it's not really resonating with you? Uh, yeah, so you probably will notice uh, anything. So I would say there are two different things here. On one hand, it's the physical symptoms that you may notice. So you may notice that maybe your digestion is off. All of a sudden, you have trouble sleeping or um, you just feel more fatigued. You're dragging your feet. Um, but there's also, I would say, the psychological symptoms. And the psychological symptoms is how stressful are you finding the experience of eating in general? Because if you're finding yourself obsessed with uh, meal prep, with uh, counting calories, all of a sudden you're finding yourself anxious when you have to eat uh, outside of your home because food is not in your control. Where if you're eating at a restaurant, you don't know how many calories are in that dish or whether uh, that dish is completely 100% vegan. I would say that that's probably uh, as or even more important for people to pay attention to. So how stressful are you finding your way of eating? Because I would argue that food shouldn't really be your number one focus all the time unless you are in a some sort of, I can think of like bodybuilding competition. Like if somebody is getting ready for a bodybuilding competition that perhaps for the 10 weeks leading up to that all you think about is food, meal prep, and the very specifics of your diet. So unless you are that high-level athlete who is uh, focusing on micro details of how you're eating leading up to a big event, for once again, a regular person, and I'm a regular person, I would imagine you're a regular person, and 99% of people I work with and interact with are regular people, um, that stress free way of eating would probably be the number one focus and also the number one warning sign if eating is all of a sudden stressful for you. Is that probably the hardest thing that you deal with when you're talking to people? Do you find that or, you know, you've dealt with so many people, what what do you find that you really have to get inside uh, someone's mind and, and massage that and, and pull them out of a, of a sort of a negative space? Is it around this fear of food and what they are hoping to achieve with a particular diet? I think as a coach, my number one task and my, my number one struggle is uh, working with people to move away from black and white thinking. And I think that applies to me as well. Like I struggle with black and white thinking just in my life. And when I work with clients, that's probably the number one thing that stands in the way because we tend to want those really harsh lines in the sand. So if 
I'm vegan, I'm 100% vegan and no animal products. And if I'm eating this diet, then I have to record every single calorie or else. Um, so there is this notion then of falling off the wagon, which is a very common expression used in the diet land, if you will, right? It's like, ah, I fell off the wagon, I'm going to start again on Monday. But that in itself implies that there is this pass or fail uh, rate of eating. And that's not really the case. Uh, there's nothing magical about Monday and there's no nothing magical about that line in the sand. You can start eating better with the very next bite, with the very next meal. Uh, and it's really just moving away from that. Well, I failed. I got to start over. Uh, that's probably the number one thing that comes up. And I think sometimes when people know they failed, then they really do a big fail. If I'm not going to do this, then I'm really not going to do this well. And I, that that's difficult, too. So where do people turn to get information about what the best diet for them is? Would you say, yes, the Internet is a good source? Or what would be your recommendation for somebody other than contacting you themselves? And we'll give that information, of course. But, you know, for the, the person who's just trying to figure things out to start with, where would you lead them? Uh, so I would definitely direct them to precisionnutrition.com. Um, so there is a, a large body of information there. These are articles with uh, research cited within them, and uh, they're beginner-friendly. I would say they're very, very readable, and uh, you will find information about ketogenic diet, about paleo diet, uh, most of the things that you can probably think of we've already written about. One of my favorite ways of looking things up, just because Precision Nutrition is a trusted uh, resource, I simply Google the term that I'm interested in and Precision Nutrition. So fish oil, Precision Nutrition, or paleo diet, Precision Nutrition, and that will pop up with um, the article for you with uh, further resources if you wanted to look into it further. It's a great resource. I look at it often myself. Maybe we can end off the show, uh, Kate, with you giving us a couple of tips um, just to start off on our way. We want to change our diet. We want to make some health improvements. What are your top tips for doing that? I find that one thing that tends to make a big difference uh, for people is uh, learning to cook if they have not already. So simply making something at home is a big difference just because it has um, benefits on so many different levels. Uh, you're eating better food, higher quality food, but you're also sharing that food probably with people you love, people you live with, your family. So it's a social experience as well. And you're also tapping into just a personal satisfaction of having made something from scratch and uh, then consuming it. That's a great, a great place to start. And very well reflected in the new food guide, too. So you're, you're right on par with that. Now, I'd like to give uh, everybody your contact information. So if you'd like to get a hold of Kate, find out more about her. Her website is Soloviova, and I'll spell that for you, .com, and then we'll have that up for you, too, as well. It's S-O-L-O-V-I-E-V-A.com. And again, precisionnutrition.com is the reference site that she has given you. Kate, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your new busy mom schedule. It's a very informative show. I'm really glad uh, that we did a show on this. It's a confusing topic for a lot of people. So thank you very much for joining us today. Everybody, um, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.